0: Oh, boys and girls, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that sound, because it means it's time for another edition of the Wreck Poker Podcast. I'm your host this week, sitting in for the one and only Steve Fredland. I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini, in and the Home Games. And if you want to find out more about me and the other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to crew. I'd like to thank Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Um, But I am just one of a panel of Wizards that have come here to uh, talk to their favorite poker people like they do every week. So in the order of your choosing, anyone who wants to dive in, uh, Wizards, why don't you just share a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, I'm Chris Jones. I'm by 5 on PokerStars and Twitter, and I am excited to talk to Ben Yu today about poker and even maybe a little Magic the Gathering.
2: I'm John Sonsky, also known as Poker Geek MN Everywhere, and tonight I have a quote from Paul Newman, a dollar one is twice as sweet as a dollar
0: earned. What about I'm, you?
3: I'm Kim Kilroy, I'm the only female member of the Wrecking Crew. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm happy to be here and, and the female presence. I have one quote from Doyle Bronson and it is, poker is war. People just pretend it's a game.
4: <laughs> I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman uh, Radman 50 everywhere. And I have a quote from Jeanette Walls from the book, The Glass Castle. Whoever coined the phrase, a man's got to play the hand that was dealt him was most certainly one piss poor bluffer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Good point, Rob. I like that. And speaking of hands that were dealt, we do have a couple of things we're going to get to later, including our partnership with club WPT and the world poker tour. So we've got uh, some kind of magical stuff happening there. We're going to, there's going to be a live event. There's going to be an online event. I can't wait to share some more details with that, but I'm excited for rec poker and WPT to be working together. And we've got our live uh, tournaments at running aces. Um, on august 14th or august 24th and beyond we've got the road trip going down to florida with the run good series there's just a lot of cool people that we're working with today and uh, one of them that i think is pretty cool and i can't wait to get into is the one and only uh ben Yu, who i can't wait to introduce to the show it's ridiculous it's taken us over 300 episodes to uh, get ben on the show um but ben thank you for joining us it's so great to have you here
5: Oh, there's definitely 3,000 people you probably should have on before, (laughs) but uh, it's great to finally be here.
0: (laughs) That's kind. Well, um, I know we we talked a little, we kind of have this panel up here. Um, Some of us uh, know you pretty well. Some of us have heard a little about you. Um, We always like to pretend that maybe some of our listeners maybe haven't heard of our guests at all. So can you just start by telling a little bit about... uh, what got you into poker and kind of what, where people might know you best. I've got a couple ideas, but I'd like to hear from you.
5: Uh, I was like a lot of people in 2003 and 2004 watching uh, poker on ESPN. Um, I would be, you know, at school or at the gym and I would make sure to race home. I think this was before we even had had TV recordings, So I would make sure to race home in time to catch the episodes. And I would like cover the clocks in my house because I knew, you know, once we get to the bottom of the hour, someone was probably going to win and I kind of didn't want to know it. So I would cover the clocks in my house and make sure to watch the episode that way. Um, Starting in college, you know, I just, and in high school, we would just play home games, you know, small cash games or like $5 tournaments sit and goes essentially with my friends, just my random call high school and college friends. And at some point I just started taking it more seriously. I just started to read books from two plus two and read the forums on two plus two I learned that you can actually play, learn how to play good as opposed to just, you know, do what you thought was good, what you and your friends thought, you know, intuitively was good. Um, and I just started taking it more seriously. At that point, uh, I was playing Limit Hold'em because it was a much bigger game. Well, it was a much bigger game than it is now um, in terms of how many people played it and how big it was. And it was one of the predominant things online. Uh, so I deposited, you know, $25 on party poker, promptly lost that pretty quickly, <laughs> um, playing like small sit and goes and limit hold'em. Um, that was probably what prompted me to take it more seriously. And at that point, you know, I'm reading books and uh, reading hands and uh, other w- other ways people think that like they should play online and, um, you know, starting to improve my game. Um, and I would, I was so in love with poker at this point in my life. Uh, you know, I actually did, um, another interview pretty recently. And they asked me how, at that point, like how much of my waking time was either spent playing or thinking about poker. And I think it was probably (laughs) over 80%. (laughs) You know, if I wasn't playing, I was thinking about the hands I played or like writing them up to send to people to get feedback from them. Um, so at this point I was just ravenous, just. Anything about poker, I would devour it. If there was any news, I was following all the pr- tournaments and stuff, um, still watching all the episodes on ESPN and following what would happen at World Series every year. Um, I would drive like two hours um, because I was still 18, 19, and 20 in college. I would drive like two hours to like Indian casinos where you only had to be 18 to play. Um, and I would, this was down in L.A. and I would drive to Morongo Casino, which is way out in the desert, two hours to the east, and I would, you know, drive there for the weekend after school or work on Friday and play, you know, 12 to 16 hours on sat Friday, go to sleep, sometimes in my car, sometimes at a friend's place, um, play another 16 to 20 hours on Saturday, again, go to sleep, wake up and play another session on Sunday and then go back to work or school. Um at this point, I just loved poker and everything about it. And, you know, I was making some good beer money for college. Um, the stuff continued. Um, in college, I was working an internship during, uh, I did it during winter quarter and summer. Um, also did it for the summer as well. I came back to it in the summer in Washington, DC. Um, um, I It was an unpaid internship. Uh, I did pretty much I did enjoy it like they did offer me a job after after I finished it, Uh, but halfway through the internship. uh, Actually, even before that, um, sometimes I would come in like pretty tired and go find a bathroom to sleep in because i had been playing poker a lot. I told my internship coordinator once that I had to miss Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for a school thing. <laughs> um, and I flew to Foxwoods to meet some, some people that I had met online uh, on two plus two and then just play 2040 Limit Hold'em at Foxwoods for the whole week. And I, I just did that again. Like I played, you know, 12 to 16 hour sessions. Um, I met some friends up there. Like we shared a room up there. You know, we talked about poker all the entire trip. Um, I made like a reasonable amount of money. And that was the first time I thought like, maybe I should just do, do this for a living. Maybe I should consider doing this. Um, and that was my junior going to senior year of college. And after that point, I was pretty like, I'm gonna give this a try for sure. I'm gonna try to do this for a living. And, you know, since then, um, I'm very grateful to like everything gambling and poker has given me. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. It's not a perfect life. It's not, it doesn't come without its own flaws, but I do have all my own in- independence, which I didn't even realize was that important to me probably at that age. Um, I, You know, going way back to what I said, starting from 2003, 2003, 2004, like the World Series was the biggest thing to me and the thing I was most passionate about. Um, as soon as I finished school my senior year, I came out and played a World Series event. You know, I was only able to catch like the last few events because uh, my school quarters ended late, my school year ended late. Um, but I played one event, the 1500 Limit Hold'em Shootout and I cashed it, um, I was so ecstatic. Like there was, I mean I, no, no success in poker now even matches up to how I felt at that point, given how excited I was for poker. and you know, just cashing in your first ever World Series event, like, whenever people tell me that, too, like, I I really understand what they, like, how excited they must be, and how much they must feel. Um, And, you know, that pretty much gave me the bug, and I I just wanted to play World Series events. Um, And the next, you know, it's been 10 or 13 years since then, 13 years since then, I've been playing World Series events every year, pretty much, coming from when I was 2003, 2004, just watching things on TV, and also, you know, that first cash in 2008, and even though, like, I think most people who have been around poker for a little while, who play professionally or full-time, you get a little burned out from at some point, point. Um, and I've definitely gotten a little bit of that. I'm not as excited as I was when I was a green uh, newcomer, but I, I still do enjoy it, um, and, you know, sometimes you wish you could recapture that—that—that—that that, that, that you could bottle that magic that you had. But I'm—I'm I'm grateful that you know I, I look back on it pretty fondly. That I—I I was that uh, excited to get into poker at that point, and that's kind of how I got my start. And you know, everything has just come from that point. I would say, just you know, watching t- on TV and hanging out with my friends in 2003 and 2004.
0: Oh that's awesome man. I know a lot of a lot of our listeners can kind of can can empathize with that part of the story. Like I know um, when when Hold'em got really popular, that's what it was all about, like playing those $5 freeze-outs with your high school buddies and your college buddies. And I had a little game out in Halifax where we were like playing around the dining room table, the coffee table and the bed with the with the door on top of it. You know, like that's that's kind of like what I think about when I think about like home games and people getting started in poker and, and getting good and um, developing their, their game. Um, so what, what I want... So I guess... I have a couple, I have a whole bunch of questions that jump out at me. Um, you said, so you're the kind of like, you still enjoy it, but it's not as like fun, fascinating in that same way. Um, and I know you've probably got other things going on right now. What, if someone had to ask you what percentage of your waking time are you playing or thinking about poker these days, what would you say?
5: Oh, wow. Well, in the last year, uh, I haven't been playing pretty much at all, uh, with the pandemic going, mm. uh, Previous to that, and I would say, you know, maybe still 30 or 40%, still quite a bit. Um, a lot of my friends are still from poker and I still check in with them, you know, in group chats like every every day they actually wake up. Um, and I'm still, I'm still thinking about, you know, whenever I see a poker hand, it's just natural to, to think about how you would play it or if there's anything you can do differently or if there's something you can learn from the situation. And I'm still pretty enamored in the poker world. So I'd, I'd say, you know, Before this year, and when things went kind of crazy, 30 to 40%, um, this was actually the first, uh, I do ask people a lot, uh, what's the longest they've gone without playing poker uh, since they started playing? And my answer used to be just one month and it was typically be the month after World Series every year Mm -hmm. when I turned out and tired. Mm -hmm. Um, During the whole pandemic, I only played the online WSOP.com bracelet events. So I took like a six month break and then there was that main event. And then I, another six month break. And then I did start playing, there were a lot more lo- events in Las Vegas, um, just like a few months ago in May and June this month that I played a ton of, right. but, uh, yeah, I took a long break actually. And it was kind of refreshing because the tournament schedule had been pretty full built the past few years. Like, I mean, it's, it's definitely a great thing for poker that anywhere you live in the world, there's pretty much a marquee mm-hmm. tournament you can play with, within a, a plane flight. Um, a short plane flight, um, in America, you know, there's a marquee event pretty much every weekend somewhere. I mean, at the main event level or higher, like at a thousand dollars and higher, definitely like every weekend you mm-hmm. can go to mm-hmm. an event or series events. And that's been pretty great.
0: Nice. Well, and, um, I- I guess I'll give you two answers, two ways to answer this question. It's about study. We're always talking about how we can get better, fun ways to learn, effective ways to use our time trying to learn, you know, because time's a resource for everybody. Recreational players, we all have real jobs and stuff like that. So when you were um, taking poker seriously uh, at first, you know, books and books were kind of the way to go and then videos developed. And these days, I guess... (laughs) long 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 answer long question um how did you start studying and how do you study now or how would you recommend people study now and trying to improve their game
5: it is interesting that you point that out because uh yeah when i started there weren't really training videos um so we're definitely in a different environment um i read most of the two plus two books there were like you know i don't remember like introduction to limit hold'em or limit hold'em for beginners you know poker theory for advanced players. Um, I think there are still a couple books that are still good, even for small stakes, no limit. Sometimes my friends get into start playing no limit and they want to know what to read. And I I don't remember which ones I'm supposed to direct them to but there are a couple out there that are definitely pretty decent. I assume, I think it's still the two plus two books. Um, I also, Uh, Just again, posted, was posting on the two plus two forums. Then there were forums for everything like small stakes, no limit cash. I was posting in small stakes and medium stakes, limit hold them. And I met a lot of my friends there and a lot of getting better was just discussing hands with them, uh, posting hands, uh, asking questions in in hands other people had posted. And then people would make like a theory post occasionally. Um, I think at this point, a lot of the people don't even post on 2 plus 2 anymore, or I've been told that the the strategy content has gotten a lot worse. I would guess that, you know, in this environment, I don't know for sure, again, because like, it feels weird to say this, but when I was learning, it was a different time. Yeah. Um, But my guess is, and the way I study now, or a lot of the way I study now is watching videos on run at once. And I'm not sure which videos would be the best for beginners there. Um, I tend to watch a lot of Daniel DeVores videos, Sam Greenwood, Lucas Greenwood videos, Chris Kruk videos. They make really excellent stuff, uh, very advanced concepts. Like you can tell they really, really have a deep understanding of the game. But I'm, I almost guarantee that like there are some great videos for beginners on there, or I mean, all levels, intermediate, um, you know, once you have the grasp of the fundamentals, I guarantee you that they just make some of the best content there, and I'm, I'm happy to shell out the money for it um, whenever I decide that I want to study pretty hard and I would guess that's the best resource
0: yeah, videos have really changed um, just how efficiently people can take in information I think and just how how much information you can crack, crack uh, jam into each second of of uh, of time that you spend with that so you can you can see why they're taking on. Uh, we do a couple training videos here ourselves and Um, that's definitely a a nice way to explain concepts or we do sort of like going through hand histories. Um, but having a more collaborative learning environment, like the forums, we find we've got some forums here too, with a really positive, uh, attitude. And we kind of do some posts about community and some posts about strategic learning and that kind of thing. And I think something you were saying there really stuck with me, kind of like you have to kind of ask questions and you have to be unsure and you can't, you know, you can't just post about things you know about all the time. You have to actually improve through other people pointing out flaws in your uh, in your knowledge. So, um, John, did you have something on that, or was it a? T- well,
2: yeah, yeah, I was, I was kind of going down the same path you were going down. <clears throat> so, in the beginning, you did a lot of posting on two plus two, working with other people. Now you're a lot more video oriented. But do you still have? a group of people that you bounce ideas off or talk things through with or do you mo- do most of your studying just solo or how does that work
5: oh yeah definitely i i actually think that yes the number one resource that i have and i think that people should try to develop are just like other people who are playing or attacking the same games that you are playing in the game have the same goals that you do like uh those are probably the best people to ask because there's always like small nuances that you may miss, and they'll say, "Oh, but have you considered this person does this a lot?" And it's only by you know them also playing in the games or playing the same type of games or playing with the same people that they'll be able to notice that. And I have like I have like you know a couple or three people I try to go to for every game that I play. You know, for every game that I play, I try, I try there. I have a couple experts I think that I try try to ask. And then I also have a couple of poker chats in general. Um, and I, I think asking a lot of different people is important because it's poker, you know, it's, it's very easy to get pigeonholed for one person to get pigeonholed. So it's it's great to have like, get, get the advice from a, a lot of different people. Um, but I, I do think that's the, I, I got to credit like most of my um, successes and accomplishments are have largely been built on, you know, not not so much my own work, but you know, getting input from other people and having them comment on my hands and learning from other people for sure. So yeah, I definitely, you know, for every game, if, if I if someone if I come up with a tough triple draw spot, you know, I have a couple people to ask for that. Um and then Nolan hold'em. you know, I have a couple chats just for that, because everyone plays no Nolan hold'em, So I have a lot of friends. And I, I think the people you want to ask, you you want to ask people who, you know. One you respect and you think are winning, but also like maybe they have different play styles, slightly different play styles. That way you get a little bit more different input. Um, and also, you want to ask, like, again, people who, uh, and you want to discuss things with people who, you know, play in the same games and, you know, or want to play, you know, or have ambitions to play at certain stakes that you do. You know, it's always good when you have your goals align that like, usually you'll just learn better in those kinds of situations.
1: I kinda wanna ask you about, um, uh, it's kind of expand on that a little in terms of like getting advice from, from people who have different playing styles. Um, one of the things I, I, I you know, I, I don't know your game that well, but I've watched a few tables you've been on. I really, the, the heads up match you uh, played through where you got second at the world series. I've watched that through. I think there's some fascinating hands there. And I think some of them, like, I would, I would say you played them really well, but unconventionally and, um, and, and quite successfully. And like, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I would never do that in this spot, but it, I really admired how it turned out and how you played it. And I was like, this, this is a spot where I'm not earning chips in my that kind of thing so i kind of want to like expand on the idea of like when you're talking to these people that you trust and respect and admire but they have different playing styles from you and they're and they tell you you know like well this is a spot where you probably should have done x but you actually did y like how do you like absorb that into like your approach for the next time versus like saying well actually no but y is really working that I, I really want to stick with why. Like, how do you how do you kind of balance
5: those two things? You tell them, thank you, but I'm going to ignore your, your <laughs> <guys."> <laughs> Um, So Heads Up, I think is actually very interesting and it's a very different animal. And that specifically that event uh, that you're mentioning is actually pretty interesting because uh, that's the first time I ever played that Heads Up event. And I've always actually been pretty scared to play Heads Up and wanted to play it, ab- Every year I try to add a new World Series event that I can play to my schedule because that, that's just the way I feel like I can learn them all. And you know, I started by playing one World Series event in my first World Series, eight in my second one, 10 in my third one, because you know, I just didn't, I didn't even know how to play No Limit then. So I was only limited to Limit Hold'em events and then mixed game events. And then eventually I had a No Limit Hold'em event. So every year I've always wanted to try and add uh, new events. and. The heads up one, I actually wanted to play that one for you know two or three years, and I always got gun shy at the end. And it's just because in heads up, like there's no nowhere for you to hide. you you have to play every hand, and you have to play 95% of hands or 90% of hands. And if you don't, you're just going to get run over. And you do have to make ex- pretty extreme adjustments to what your opponent is doing. You know, if they start folding a little bit too much, you really should start going kind of crazy and playing every hand. So that one is really interesting so yeah that was actually the first time i had played that event and i actually did a lot of learning in that event um and i do think one of the best ways to learn is honestly just to have a good uh pre-flop hand selection just have a good know what you're supposed to be playing in every spot um and this applies for ring for full full game full ring tournaments or cash games as well, just in every position, just know what is good, and then once you get a good handhold of that, you know, then you can start to deviate. Again, if you notice that the big blind is starting to fold too much, now we can take this range that we're we've comfortable with, and yeah, add as many hands you, to it until you feel like we've gone too far. Um, but yeah, heads up, d- definitely, uh, you can do a lot of different things. You can deviate. You can deviate a lot and do a lot differently. What. The least amount of players there are behind you the more you can adjust you know when you're under the gun unless everyone is playing super tight you're not going to be able to open up too much if you know if one if just the big blind is playing too tight you know you can still probably open up a little bit but once we get into late position once we're on the button and the big blind is playing too tight now you can raise everything um, and you can adjust more so i do think this is one of the the way fundamental ways I approach poker. I think starting with a good strategy that you will always be protected and you will always be winning uh, no matter how tough the the field you're playing against having a good starting range or having a good general strategy in general.
0: Yeah. And we talk Um, about how the, the, you know, the pre-flop stuff, that's what's going to happen the most frequently. Those are the spots that you're going to be in the most often. And they have a knock-on effect throughout the hand. You know, if you get further into the hand with a weaker range, you're just going to have to find other places to fold those uh, weak hands and that kind of thing. So we do harp a lot here at Rec Poker about sort of knowing your position and not memorizing your range necessarily, but like knowing where your sweet spot is. Um, What are some other kind of like, Uh, not obvious, but like low hanging fruit areas where you think, and, you know, not necessarily beginners, but just non-professional players um, could, could make some, some strides when it comes to just cleaning up some of the the biggest gains available to them.
5: Oh, I think that's a very good point that you pointed out. Yeah. These situations come up a lot and they snowball. Um, I've definitely had people say this to me. Uh, I think the two things that people should know, one is what we're, we've just been talking about is for the most part, people should start by playing tight. Um, until you're comfortable um, with doing stuff that feels unconventional to you, um, starting with a tight range is probably the way to go for the reasons you stated um, that you know, it snowballs, that you, you end up getting to post flop in spots where you're not gonna be comfortable what to do. Um, I do really admire the people that somehow have always, you know, have always been a field player that have been able to start with a very loose range and just kind of feel their way to the correct spot. Uh, But I do think that's a lot tougher road. You know, if you, if you think you can do that and go for that in a much tougher environment that we live in now, I do think that strategy was a lot more viable maybe five or 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, But for everyone else, you know, if you don't know where to start, I think uh, starting with a very tight range, and then the second thing I would say uh, that I I think is very low hanging is fruit is when you have a good hand, you should just generally bet it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people try to get too tricky, uh, <laughs> trying to trying to confuse their opponents. And uh, the arguments against that are one is they often don't need to be tricked. Um, people tend to be curious and want to see what what your hand is, and they just don't believe you, um, and they can't get away with. With their hands. So when you have a good hand, you should just bet it. Um, a lot of times they get tricky themselves too and check behind or, or they're just very passive in general. They just don't put enough money with their good hands in general. So you really have to be betting it yourself. And then there are a lot of scare cards that can come off that will kill your action as well too. So I would say a second mistake that people tend to make is just not betting their good hands good enough. Like it it seems so obvious and straightforward and it's very easy for your brain to talk yourself out of it. And there are definitely some exceptions to this rule for sure, but I would say just as a general, betting your good hands is a good way to make money. I like
0: that. We like general rules here. (laughs) We like general rules. Uh, so let me me ask you about another one then, Ben. So let's say you're sitting down uh, live at the table with someone or at a new table and you don't necessarily um, know anybody there particularly well but you think that some some players there might be more experienced than others what are you going to be looking for that if you see it in a player you're like oh this is a player that is maybe not as experienced as some of the other players here or um, oh this person's a pro I like what are the kind of actions or sizings or other kind of tells at the table that make you feel like you can gauge something about this player we I mean, first of all
5: I just know a lot of people in poker now oh yeah so, good
0: point good point So,
5: but if, if you don't know people I mean so yeah if, if you just get familiar with the poker community you kind of know who who shows up at most tournament spots. And that is probably one of your best tips mm-hmm. for who. Um, but for the most part, a lot of uh, poker strategy, a lot of people play very similar nowadays to, you know, a small pre-flop raise. Um, they tend to be pretty aggressive. Uh, they three bet reasonably regularly, like more definitely more so than with just Queens plus Ace-King. They definitely have some bluffs. Uh, so generally, if they're a, a bit of aggressive, that, that's a pretty tell that they're... Um, Going to continue to be aggressive and it isn't just good hands always um they'll tend to this has changed a lot but uh people used to use strictly small size that bet, bet pretty small on the flop um, but now that has changed somewhat too where people bet can bet a uh, bigger sizings uh on all streets. So that's a little bit more confusing now, but you know, if you played a while and you learned what, you know, once you watch these videos and, or study from books or learn from your friends, what good strategy looks like, if you just see it at the table, um, it becomes pretty clear in a a few hands, whether someone is implementing those kind of tactics. And if they are, they're probably going to be a good aggressive player. And these are the players you you can try to emulate too, even when I didn't know what good strategy necessarily was, I definitely made sure to pay attention to the players that I thought were good or knew to be good. And, you know, I just tried to emulate them. And, you know, even if you don't have a, a deep understanding of what's going on, like just emulating does get you some of the way there, for sure.
1: So, so I, I want to kind of shift gears because I teased this at the beginning of the podcast, but I, you know, I don't know if our audience is that familiar with you, but you're also a pretty accomplished magic player. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, how, how that came about? Was that sort of pre-poker, post-poker, how you got, got kind of interested in that? And then maybe also like how the two games intersect for you. Do you, do you think you've learned anything about poker through magic?
5: I, uh, so I played when I was a kid, you know, in like kindergarten just at the playground table. And then I really didn't really interact with it that much. From like high school to college on, and I, we only played casually when I was a child. And then at after the two thousand, I want to say two thousand ten World Series of Poker, um, um, I had just come off, you know, playing a lot of World Series events, and I saw David Williams was streaming it, and I was like, oh, I remember this from when I was a kid, and I kind of got hooked on that. Um, I didn't realize that there was such a large competitive environment that goes on, and that. The game is thriving pretty hard and i didn't realize the competitive environment did draw me into it um i do enjoy like i didn't realize it was a thing that people did and competed on um i made made a lot of friends in it and i do think that uh there are some i think people try to compare things too much in general but i do think there are some similarities and some lessons that i did take over from poker um i definitely just don't tilt that much when I play other games now, like I just, or even in real life, like I just realized that like, I mean, I've had very absurd situations in where I, me and my friends are gonna lose like, I don't know, six figures of money based on what card comes next. Like, it's hard for me to be upset in a magic game now, even if we're playing, even if we're playing for something that I think is important, you know, even if I'm playing for a seat at the pro tour or, you know, match that's roughly worth a hundred to a thousand dollars. I just realized there's no reason for me to tilt at that or anything. And this happens when I play other strategy games too. And I think that's really important when the games are not so much in magic or poker, but if they're like team environment games, it's really important to like foster a good positive environment, not tilt your teammates and not get tilted yourself in those spots. So uh, that's one thing that I definitely carried over and just Also that I learned from poker is like, as long as you keep making good decisions, even though the games have a lot of randomness, like as long as you continue to try to make the good decisions or and do it over and over and learn how to, like eventually you will do well and the results will come. So, I mean, it's very easy to get caught up on all the times that you got unlucky. Um, I just try to focus on where I can improve and where what I can do better. And this is pretty much, I feel like, true in all strategy games. Like, if you just focus on trying to improve, eventually you'll improve.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, that kind of extends into. So, think speaking of tilt and and the idea of like, you know, sometimes you're running bad, and sometimes you're. I think some some recreational players are often wrestling with the, am I running bad or am I playing bad or am I running good or am I playing good and like, how how do you differentiate
5: between between those two? Um, one of the ways I just try to think it, like, it's probably both to some degree, right? You're probably not, there are so many things you can do in poker. Like poker doesn't have, it's not one of those games where there's infinite decisions, but there's still a lot of decisions to be made. You know, you could have bet, instead of betting two thirds pot, you could have bet one third pot, you could have bet full pot, you could have bet one and a half pot. There are, there's so many moving pieces there. I just try to focus on those so much. Like, yes, you're probably running bad to be losing however many buy you lost. Like, people, every, you're always going to come across that at some point, but you're not in control of that. So I just don't try not to worry about it. And I do just try to work on the those decisions because even if you're winning, uh, even if things are going well, again, I said, there's so many different moving pieces like you can consider. Like, if you just think like, if you play you know, an hour of poker, live poker, might only be 30 hands, right? And maybe you only play, I don't know, six of those. But even in those six hands, you know, you probably had to make 20 total decisions, maybe. And, you know, that that's a lot to review just off of one hour of poker alone. And, like, so there's no way that every, any human who plays poker possibly, like, is always trying as hard as they can be, right? Like, and, That might be an unreasonable expectation, but it just shows that there's always room for you to improve. So to focus on getting being unlucky or being tilted that you're unlucky or losing is kind of like a waste of time. Whereas, you know, if I'm spending the most of my effort, just trying to improve my decisions, like sure, maybe I made a bad play here and maybe I've been running bad and losing, but if I'm not focusing on that and just focusing on trying to improve as a player eventually that will happen so i just try to focus on on be, on improving i do think that people tend to focus on where other people played bad and where where i played good because you know it makes me feel better but i think we should do the reverse we should focus on you know where did other people play good and that's where where i can learn from you know where did i play bad where should i improve and as long as I'm just focusing on that, like eventually you will get there. Like, I don't think I've ever been the, the, the most talented player naturally, but just using this mentality over and over is what let me learn learn all these different games. And it prevents me from getting tilted for the most part. Like it sucks losing. I'm not happy when I'm losing, but I just keep focusing on this kind of strategy of improving. And yeah, eventually, I think I got there and I, I, I. there's no reason why other people can't do that too.
2: So building upon what Chris was talking about, <clears throat> part of the problem that rec players have in particular is just coming to an objective decision about whether or not a play is good or what the best possible play is. and what makes it more difficult in poker is the fact that the results don't always match the decision you can get rewarded for a bad decision because the cards happen to be in that realm of of random distribution or you can be punished for a good decision given the random distribution as well so what tools do you use so that you can take a step back and try to objectively decide whether or not play a or play B is the better decision.
5: So for pre-flop and for like short stack tournament situations, uh, there are a lot of, um, there's snap shove for, you know, what hands are reasonable to shove and there's Hold'em resources calculator they used to use. And that works for, uh, if someone opens, whether you should go all in and then whether they or not they should call. Um, so these are pretty basic and solved and have been for some time now. And you know these make it pretty basic. And for the most part, you should start by you know learning these and abiding by these. And then, yes, if people are folding too much now, you can go all in even more often. Um, Post flop, it definitely becomes more tricky for sure, uh, once we're playing like actual poker. Um, And in there, I think, first of all, you have to come to a reasonable agreement, like if if two people are disagreeing on whether a play is good or bad, we have to come to an agreement first on like, what do we think is in our opponent's range, you know, what are all possible hands that they could possibly have played this way. And I think once we agree to that, it kind of becomes, uh, depending on how many streets are left to play, how much is left to play you know, we can come to an agreement on like what is probably a good or bad play against that line. But I think identifying your, like all all hands your opponent could be playing like this or how often they are uh, playing possible hands like this, you know, it becomes pretty easy to see like, oh, they probably don't have that many bluffs or like they have have some bluffs, but I should still probably just fold here. Um, So I think identifying what, you know, trying to read their hands and thinking of what hands they would play like this is probably the most important thing um, to try to ground yourself in an answer here. After that, you can kind of like reason your way through, like, okay, what what should I do with regard to that? And I think this, this kind of takes away the ego too of like, did I make a good or bad play more? Just think about like what the range actually is and try to not have it be about like, oh, is my decision good or bad? Like, am I, don't have it become like, oh, I'm a a smart or stupid person. Just be like, let's just try to figure out what they have.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing how, how much of poker really just comes down to, are you making good assumptions about your opponent's range? You know, like that that's something as recreational players, I bang this drum all the time. But like we are not spending enough time working on ranging our opponents like this is something that is crucial to every hand of poker you're going to play. And it's, you know, getting better at it is uh, is getting better at poker. Um, All right. Well, thanks for letting me bang that uh, drum while you're here as well, Ben. Um, We're coming up to our time. You've been very generous to uh, share all this with us. Is there anything um, other than you're a fun po- uh, follow on Twitter, if people want to go to Ben U poker and uh, follow them there, uh, where else can people reach you and what kind of, what do you have in the works that you might want to share with some people coming up?
5: Um, that's pretty much it actually. Um, I don't actually have any content coming up in the pipelines or anything. Um, there was a time I thought I was interested in doing that kind of stuff and I kind of just realized that uh, I don't care as much about clout as I used to. Like, I am very grateful. Um, I definitely feel like poker has helped open a lot of doors for me, and I'm grateful for everything it's given me and stuff. But I've kind of just been doing my own thing and enjoying life, and I'm I'm reasonably happy with that. Like, I I have noticed when, like, content and clout have helped people or me, and I, I don't blame anyone else for, like, it is fun. It is but I don't have anything like in the works or anything. Um, I will be playing, I will, pro- I mean, who knows what's how the world works now, like what's gonna happen in the next month or even year, but I should be playing most of the World Series events coming up um, and probably Poker Masters as well. And given the year off, I'm reasonably excited for that. Like I said, I was burnt out a little earlier and I usually do get very burnt out at World Series. I think the actual last few World Series, I've played at over 50 something events and usually towards the end, <laughs> I had a phase where like, I, I got sick and I, I slept like 36 out of 40 hours. Mm. I went to urgent care once and they just told me nothing was wrong with me. and I probably <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I was just drinking, you know, Powerade and other electrolyte stuff and just sleeping all day. Um, so that is a, you know, a huge thing that I, I try to gear up for every year. So, we're going to probably do it again this year and with last year off. And I haven't played mixed games probably for the most part in two years. So pretty excited for that.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, I know we're getting a rec poker house down there for the series this year. I'm coming down for the first couple of weeks of October. So you'll be nice and fresh and uh, hopefully we can connect when we're down there. And uh, that'd be great. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing all sorts of fun folks and, uh, and getting involved in some of the action.
5: Have you had a house there
0: before or we, we had a condo before this is the first time we're dipping into house territory but it's pretty sweet we're 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 pretty excited about this time is uh, any any tips for first time uh, house people uh, we we've already got the billiards okay. table and the pool outside so we got that covered
5: I don't know um, I'm not sure uh, at World Series I mean I mean I'm not sure about the house, but I will <laughs> like, definitely know where all the bathrooms are. Go to bathroom mm. on every break.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: be ready for like a cramp zoo. Like try to have food planned out ahead of time. Oh, so I guess if you have food at home, that's great. Um, yep. Having someone clean your house is great. I mean, I know that I know the poker houses can be kind of a mess sometimes during the summer.
0: <laughs> what, poker players? No way. I don't believe it. I don't believe it yeah that's a good one that's a good one i like that i have and someone if,
5: who's excellent who comes clean to my house that i, I would definitely recommend uh ah. she's definitely come across money in my house before and it, it, <laughs> it's never missing like i trust her super she i love her she's like family get, so she's her, really clean the house i mean i
0: yeah give her a shout out here or we can reach you through twitter what do you like <laughs> yeah all right well uh we'll factor that and anyone else who's looking for a little help down in vegas uh, this fall you know where to you know where to reach out and that sure was kind of Ben to offer to come and uh, do some work at our place too. What a guy. All right. Well, thanks. Ben. <laughs> um, we're going to play a little commercial break here uh, and then you can uh, sign out. And um, we really do appreciate your time and we'll let you know when this comes out, it should be dropping on uh, next Tuesday. Uh, and so you can um, get a chance to catch up then. Uh, so thank you again, my man. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks Ben. It was yeah. a great convo.
0: All right, let's hear from our friend Jonathan Little, and then we'll see what's up on the back half.
5: Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it, or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a 1,000 interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess, and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com/recpoker right now.
0: Well, I was so much—I was having so much fun texting with uh, Ben. Yu there? I almost missed my audio cue. Um, that was a fun one. Uh, I always appreciate. Uh, I didn't know Ben particularly well before we started setting up the interview, but um, really, really nice, friendly guy. Great attitude. Chris. Yeah.
1: You know, I, it should, it should be mentioned. I don't think it came up in the interview. This is a three-time bracelet winner. I was like, (laughs) like, probably should have led with that. (laughs) He's got 7 million in earnings. He's a (laughs) three-time bracelet winner. And if you're ever wanting to play heads up poker, I really highly recommend you got a poker go subscription, go watch the WSOP heads up final from 2019 um It is. It's a. It's a really good. There's a lot of tricky spots. It's. It's a. It's a. It's just a masterclass in in heads up poker. So.
0: Nice. And Kim's typing in the chat here that uh, had a question about the big blind poker go show, uh, but it can wait. We'll just have to have him back, uh, Kim. We'll have to have Ben back on the show. Good excuse. Yeah, he,
3: that, that was my introduction to him, to be honest with you, uh, <laughs> and then he made the finals of that show, so. That was good.
0: I wanted to ask him about that, but that was fine. Nice. Uh, We're doing things a little differently this week. So um, we have uh, Jim and Jacob, premium members, who are here in the chat. If you feel like joining the panel for this little community session, feel free to, guys. I know you're both uh, avid contributors in our study sessions and our other group discussions. Jacob, I'm going to drag you on screen when we talk about the home games, though. Um, Maybe we should start with that. John, why don't you roll into... What's going on in home game land? And we have the one and only John. I'm muted. Somsky doing what only he can do.
2: Well, I just wanted to throw back to, you know, it's a callback comedy. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, this week we had our mixed game championship series and none other than spot Conlon, Daniel Kennedy got his very first uh, mixed championship series win. And then nice. on Monday night, the other big event, and one reason why we might want to be talking to Jacob, is Kek Geek 65 Jacob Kiki, won his second silver pin Ooh. for the Tournament of Champions.
0: Wow. So, so he I, oh. is... That's like that would that's... look like not only twice as good as this, but without the asterisk. Is that what you're telling me? He's got yes. two of these asterisk free. Asterisk good
2: free. God. And he is the second person, I believe,
0: to join the two-time
2: TOC winner <laughs> club. That's right. Really? It... This
1: hasn't been this has been done before. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I yeah. Uh, John... Colin Anderson. I think I it was Colin was Anderson. Oh, yeah, that's, that's oh, right. Wow. So Jacob,
0: wow. you're really joining an elite company here. And uh, speaking of elite companies, uh, Jacob's actually working at his elite company right now. And so he cannot join the panel. He can only listen in because he's got his priorities in the right place and he's putting food on the table because uh, we are recreational poker players here, folks. We've got day jobs, even even, even the panel here. We all well, or we're, or we're retired. <laughs> Rob Washington. Um, so, uh, yeah, great. Well, now uh, we've interrupted John enough that I think he can proceed.
2: All right. Then for our nightly events, we have Ben Mar, Elizabeth Bennett. Yes. Martin.
0: Canadian invasion.
2: And this is an impressive sixth nightly victory.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Milo mm-hmm. junk. Miles Hudson. Nice.
2: Got his third nightly victory for the year.
0: He's on a and roll too.
2: Speaking of which, uh, partner in crime Pergy fifty six,
0: Kim
2: Kilroy, got her sixth nightly victory.
0: Wow. wow! Good God, she's on a tear. Is that because you've been wor- You've been working with your new uh, Range Trainer Pro subscription, Kim? I can't believe we let Kim get Range Trainer Pro. What? What have we done? This is like this is. Uh, I, I just feel like we've done a real disservice to the rest of the players in the home game.
2: Yeah, actually, we should probably just cut her off from all yeah, proper training. Whatsoever. <laughs> I, I mean, like, just shut off her internet.
3: I have my finger in too many pies. That's a good <laughs> and of course,
2: for our next item, we have once again go back to you know we've been spouting all these high numbers here. Cat Geek sixty five, Jacob Kiki, wow, got his seventh. For the year wow! And 16th lifetime
0: oh my God. for the nightly events the, uh, guys unreal unreal and he, he's he, he's even he's playing in here he's got a family connection playing in these home games as well but there's no mercy um it's just cutthroat action from uh, the kiki family over here jacob i think you had a you set yourself a personal challenge to win 20 home games in the calendar year of 2021 I know you can't join the panel but type in as John keeps going if that's correct or not because that's pretty you're you're actually you're not far off that pace as ludicrous and ridiculous a goal as that is but i I mean that's pretty amazing
2: yeah and I wanted to so overall um, for lifetime winners mega 44 now this goes across all series all uh events all time has 29 total wins. <laughs> and then uh Jacob Kiki comes in at 23.
0: Wow. And and there and then there must be a gap before yeah. the 3rd. 17 <laughs> okay. is the
2: next number of wins and that of course is by Colin Anderson, gloves 10-10. Ah, all
0: so, right. you
2: see we have a a Seems to be rising to the top
0: here. Oh my God! No kidding. And I got a comment from Jacob in the chat here. In this calendar year, he's at thirteen, including the nightlies, the mixed games, the international series, and the tournament of champions. So if you count all those in thirteen, that you actually are on pace. What is it? It's August sixteenth at the time of this recording. Just keep on what doing what you're doing, brother. <laughs> you're gonna yep. crack that twenty. That's insane. We that that would be our recce's award show performance of the year. I think at least got to be nominated uh, oh, yeah. for the oh. performance of the year. 20, 20 pin eligible tournaments in the year. Okay. Good God. Yeah. You said it, Kim, we got We got We can't let that happen. You got to step up your game. Yeah. It's just run. Good. We know what's <laughs> really going on. Jacob. Jacob's a pop, uh, a regular guest in our Tuesday night. OPA sessions, the online play and hang. And I, I can, I can see the wheels turning. I can see the wheels turning in the, in there. I know what's going on. Um,
2: well, one last thing to say about that August 13th tournament, the last one that uh, Jacob won, he was playing his father. It was heads up between him and his father for the win. So it was a battle of the cat geeks.
0: Uh, I love that. That's amazing.
2: So that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Way to go, guys.
2: Then we go on to Diabolical. David Admanson got his second nightly victory
0: for Nicely the year. Done. Nicely done. done. Then
2: <gasps> Poker Geek MN John Sonski Whoa! got his second mixed, daily mixed event for the year. Is that the Saturday night practice? That's the Saturday night practice. And oh, you,
1: which <laughs> Which one was that? Which Which game is that?
2: Horse. This was horse and. The thing is, is when I got heads up, I really had uh, an opponent who couldn't hardly even play. <laughs> I was heads up against Kim. It was a very <laughs> tough and long heads up battle.
0: Oh, uh, really? I'm sure. Yeah,
2: but I managed to to squeak out in the end and and take that one down. <laughs> awesome. But Congrats, you guys. Previously that day, at the eight a.m. tournament. Kim, oh. Kim Pilroy got her second international victory for the year.
0: Very nice. Very and nice. And
2: then Trey 371, Thomas Pena, ah, got his around. first international victory for the year. Nice. And then, you know, this is filled with all sorts of people that go – or associate with kim all of the time <laughs> lpp sunday event we had stewie 13 yes. stewart kendrich got oh. his first lpp victory for the year so he Ooh. can contact jim reed at poke uh rec.poker and or jim at rec. poker and learn earn your free month of learn pro poker
0: holy cow yeah Stu, that's great wo- great work man and yeah kim this is uh kim's poker friends forever group that are just dominating the leaderboards here at rec poker way to go kim congratulations on keeping such excellent company and Stu, yeah you know it you can email me jim at poker, and i'll set you up with your free month of membership at learn pro poker with ryan Leplant. because that's what happens when people win the sunday free home game uh here at rec poker they get cool stuff nicely and- done john
2: The only other reminder I have is September 18th is our next Heads Up event.
0: And that's at, uh, I believe, 1 o'clock Central in the afternoon. That'll
2: be Saturday, 1 o'clock Central. And there is no late (laughs) registration for that. So make sure you're uh, available right away because we don't want to to have people with Heads Up tournaments waiting. So no late registration.
0: And that's a, a bracket, a ladder bracket tournament where we have a heads up series of matches and the winner goes on to play in Marek Madness uh, next March. But that's not the only reason to circle September 18th. Uh, we teased at the top of the show that there is going to be something to do with Club WPT. And again, I'm not sure how much we can actually share without Steve around here. He's the, he's the great legal mind behind this entire operation. So um, I know I can say that you want to circle September 18th and you're going to want to go to rec.poker WPT. That I am confident about. So when you hear this, it, maybe just go to rec.poker slash WPT. Because um, I think you're going to find something there that I can't quite describe yet, but that you will find very interesting. And uh, for I we're getting the eye roll from Kim again. They told me I couldn't say it yet, They, could, but I'm so damn excited, Kim. <laughs> we don't plan this, I swear. Um, but yeah, so do check that out. And uh, let me see. I think by the time people hear this, we'll probably already be getting going in the Run Good, uh, Run Good event down in Florida. But I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've done some work with some staking partners down there. So if you're thinking about staking or getting staked or investing in other players, you can go to poker slash staking and check that out. What else is going on in, uh, in membership land here? And um, we got a full group here. W- anyone can just jump in. Chris, we are, why don't you jump in first and tell us what's happening and the focus and the seminar and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're gearing up for our next uh, seminar. We had a really uh great one if you have if you are a premium member uh and even if you participated you should really watch the summary video where we mm. had a, a fantastic contribution by darrow kearney who broke down one of the hands and we're hoping that that's kind of a trend that uh um is going to happen out of these uh every month and i think we've, we've got our our next person lined up i think i don't want to quite announce it but i i think we do oh i can announce it okay uh so ryan laplant is gonna of uh, learn pro poker is going to uh, do our next uh, breakdown, sort of the pro breakdown. Take one of the hands that that happens, um, and uh, that'll be part of that that final package we put we pulled together. It's it's um, it's
0: it's a hand that the premium player, the premium members, play against each other. We get these pros to come in and analyze the hand and tell them how they could improve for next time, according to this one little spot that Chris draws up. It's like yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I want them to pick my hand. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, it'll be it'll be great. And uh, and we're going to be it's kind of like now the last time we did about sort of approaching the bubble and making the money, this is going to be really focused on that time between when we've made the money and really trying to to put ourselves in position to arrive. It's not going to be at the final table, but we want to try to put ourselves in position to arrive at a final table. Uh, with a healthy stack with a you know an opportunity to win the tournament so it's going to be that time in between sort of making the money and before we get to a final table that's that that's really we'll be focusing our our time and effort uh, the scenario we draw up for the players so it should be a good one and um, check check it out. if you don't know what we're talking about uh, the information's up and you want to join the group um, on on the rec poker website and sign up if you haven't um, and join us there
0: yeah, that's going to be great. And um, Chris is also running our uh, the focus session where we're working with a premium member each month. I was just emailing with uh, Dan and we're going to be taking a look at uh, a 7-7 seven, seven hand that gets pretty interesting. So I'll work with Dan. We're going to kind of build some ranges pre-flop and through the flop. And then uh, Chris is going to take it from there and do some solver work and take it beyond. So I'm, I, I'm so excited about this uh, this focus program. It's a great way. Learning together. That's what, like what we were talking about with Ben, right? Um, talking with other people about specific problems. So that's, that's phenomenal. I'm excited about that too. Um, Rob, what's going on? Uh, I know by the time you got... You got you back, got you back, mic'd up again. So you're, you're hitting the book study again like you never left.
4: Yep. We, uh, by the time you hear this, we'll have had session eight of Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo. Um, that's coming up in our time in two days. But by the time you hear this, it'll have been gone then and gone. But we're playing every first and third Wednesday of the month. At 6.30 central time, we have a book study session. And right now we're doing uh, Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo. It's really intense. We get we get a lot of participation. I know some of the people in the panel here are there every, every time we have a book study. And we go down some pretty deep rabbit holes. We've been going on this <laughs> since, I think we started this in March, wasn't it? It was um, this spring, yeah. Yeah, I think we started in March. Now, we've had a couple of hiccups in the last uh, last month. We've had a few hiccups and missed a few sessions, but we're going to get back to it hot and heavy. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. If you've missed any of the previous sessions, you can find them on Rec Poker. There's a group, a book study group. You can go in there and you can see all of the previous sessions and get caught up with where we're at. Um, do your due diligence, do some studying, do some reading and get ready to... Dive into Modern Poker Theory with Michael Acevedo.
0: That's going to be great. It's been a lot of fun uh, coming along and reading along with that. And um, this podcast is actually going to come out on Tuesday, the 24th. And I know a little later on that evening at 630 Central, we've got the Pet Vet Hand History Review Session. So I'm looking forward to that. Kim, you want to just talk a little bit about what goes on there and what else you might be up to?
3: Right. Well, uh, we... We will talk about some hands if I get any members to submit any hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. People got to go over to the forum and put some hands up for Kim to Otherwise, over we'll just talk
3: about my hands. <laughs> hey, we like that me. idea too. <laughs> but uh, I have some really interesting things coming up. I've got some new programs I'm working with. One's called check the side, which I'm going to introduce, uh, the members to, and the other one's another, um, something called Odin. Mm. Uh, And it is, uh, it's a solver done for you. So I'm going to introduce the group to that as well. Cool. So that'll be uh, exciting. If we don't have any hands, we'll just be talking about those programs.
0: Nice. And people can go to rec. poker slash pet vet if they want to find out more about Kim and uh, her groups and uh, everything else that she's getting up to. Just like you can go to rec. poker slash Jim Reed or slash John Somsky or Chris Jones or Rob Washam and find out about uh, the rest of the crew here and what we're all getting up to there. So let me see. We laid, we laid a lot on some folks today. What do you think, folks? Should we just... Uh, pack it in there any other parting thoughts for the rest of rec poker nation not seeing any i want to thank running aces hotel racetrack and casino website amp of course ben you and steve fredland who couldn't be here but john chris jacob jim kim and rob thanks everybody and we'll see you again next week